0: Gone Girl and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo are kind of the exact tone and feel of this film if you put those two together with the yellow-blue coloring scheme. Recently, he's been using a lot of blues to coincide with the yellows in, in really beautiful ways, very similar to Guillermo del Toro likes to do yellows and blues, and it's just a really great opposite of the color wheel combination. David Fincher has to be one of the most consistent filmmakers the last 30 years. Nothing but bangers. You kind of always know what you're going to get when he drops a movie. Welcome back to the show, everyone. We're doing an episode on The Killer... A new Netflix film from David Fincher, which is the second of four films that he's making for Netflix. To get a new David Fincher movie is always a gift from the filmmaking gods and from the heavens of cinema because it was phenomenal. I loved it so much. And I never thought a David Fincher film would have the Smiths as the musical theme. (laughs) Every song is from the Smiths. Every song the Smiths ever made is pretty much in this movie. (laughs) And so many references to 500 Days of Summer I've seen online in social media. So it's been fantastic. Kind of Yeah, like the elevator scene. I saw a great edit where someone took Tom out of that scene in 500 Days of Summer and put the killer uh, in the elevator scene when he's got the recycling uniform on, mm-hmm. and it's just really terrific. And Summer goes, I love the Smiths. She's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and uh, David Fincher is keeping with his tradition of uh, portraying serial killers on screen. <laughs> well, I don't. He's not it's, a serial killer. No, I know. I'm, it's a joke. An assassin yeah, yeah. is kind of like, kind of a serial killer. Sort of, yeah. Pretty much. In a way, it's a professional serial killer. A killer, not a yeah. serial killer. No, no. Yeah, no yeah. They're different classes know, of killers. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm just, no, it's, a, it's a good joke. I yeah, get yeah. it. We all, we all laugh. It's a funny joke. Ha, 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 it's a funny ha. joke. <laughs> but <laughs> this is a typical Fincher film in terms of the control, the precision, the cinematography, and also like the coldness and a bit of a nihilistic uh, theme to it. However, I was really intrigued by the assassin kind of trajectory of a story that he'd never really done before, and it didn't disappoint, and just like every other David Fincher movie, no matter what genre he's tackling, it's going to be different, and it's going to be in his own unique voice and his own style as a filmmaker, and this isn't like a Jason Bourne movie. This isn't a James Bond movie. This isn't like the typical action assassin movie you're going to get. There's really only like one major action scene. There's a couple other moments of short-lived action, but for the most part, there's just one big scene, and that's enough action for years because it's that good of a fight, that fight scene halfway through the film. But the thing is, Fincher, he's always portraying character pieces on screen. This is a character piece. It's not an action movie. It's not a spy movie. It's not an espionage movie. It's a movie about a man who just happens to be a professional killer, and I like how Fincher gravitated towards the mundane the more trivial aspects to that proficient profession, the waiting, the little details, the wandering around, the purchasing of items that he needs to use. So I just really adored watching what this guy does in his line of work, the day to day, Trivial aspects to it as opposed to just all we're seeing is the big moments like kills and it's based off the graphic novel the killer And what's really fascinating is it's sort of like turning an assassin and seeing the perspective from a day job Like this is their 9 to 5 in a sort of way And like you said the very mundane aspects of it, but the very detailed and meticulous things about it as well And you're right. It's not like a a, a normal hitman movie, which is why I think it's so special We've seen so many assassin movies so many even the hitman movies based off the video game could have been Really terrific, Oh my god, like don't this. remind me. Those are disappointments. But to see a hitman from this perspective that's very humanized, but also not completely removed from humanity because he has a love in his life. He has a girlfriend, but he has this rule, these rules, this code. One of them is empathy is weakness. Don't show empathy, don't show mercy. But he kind of starts to bend those rules throughout this film because he's a hitman, he's an assassin who's never missed. Even though he says, I'm not special, I'm not very talented really or anything like that. But he's very good at his job because he's perfected it and he's batting a thousand. You know, I said Ted Williams batted 346 in his career, which is absurd. I'm batting a thousand, I've never missed, until he finally misses. And now he's never gone through the situation of what happens in my line of work if I miss. I've never experienced that before. And the things that happen, obviously, this company trying to clean up loose ends based off the client's desires comes after him and he makes it it feels personal to him because they go after his girlfriend. And it's interesting. How he missed and why he happened to miss here. I'll get to it in a sec, but first I want to move on to our letterbox segment of our favorite letterbox reviews of The Killer. We got some good ones. I mean, I'm surprised how low this movie's rated. What's it on Letterboxd? On the Letterboxd, it's a 3.6, and on IMDb, it's a 6.9. IMDb is crazy low. I couldn't believe that when I saw that this morning. It's his least liked movie so far. Of all time? After Alien Cubed. (laughs) Three. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, it's cubed yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's no either way yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's literally a cube it's like a, <laughs> yeah uh, that's how they named the movie man ron tomatoes it's 86 percent critic score and 61 percent audience score i just think people maybe don't get it but i think the first act turns people off but we'll get to that yeah we'll, we'll gain let's get into the critical reactions and the commercial reactions now Letterbox had some great reviews however so marshall who is actually a listener of our show great great listener Gave it a three and a half stars, and he wrote, an introspective look into the mind of somebody that listens to The Smiths too much. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous band to listen to. <laughs> Either you become depressed and don't assess romantic relationships very well like Tom Hansen, or you kill people. <laughs> Either one. Either one. <laughs> Those are the two options if you listen to The Smiths too <laughs> he much. He is a creepy dude. Who Tom? Yeah, Tom's a creepy guy. He can be. He's a creepy guy. Stage five clinger. He literally blares the music to the song she likes as she's walking by the office. We've all done that yeah <laughs> next up we have Jay on letterboxd gave it four stars and wrote least sociopathic smiths fan <laughs> I like that one this one's a great one too so cosmonal markle marky sorry cosmonal marky gotta get that name right in no anyway. it's, it's it's a common name <laughs> floridians are actually that strong <laughs> i believe it <laughs> florida then we have M- Maria wrote, drop the Spotify Wrapped king. <laughs> <laughs> Spotify Wrapped. He's their like 0.01% listener on Spotify yeah. for the Smiths. To, uh, us to Hans Zimmer is the killer to the Smiths. <laughs> and then we have David Eierreich wrote, the Killer is a movie about how awesome and embarrassing it must be for a 60-year-old man to live with the fact that he directed Fight Club. This was the worst review I've ever seen for a movie in history. Wait, he has to say that again? So listen to this. The Killer is a movie about how awesome and embarrassing it must be for a 60-year-old man to live with the fact that he directed Fight Club. And it, so he's coming after Fight Club. Yeah. But, I mean, why would David Fincher be just embarrassing be about embarrassing, making one, of the, one of the best movies best... ever? What the hell? Is Isn't that wrong? weird? And then they wrote in parentheses... Not at all a knock against Fight Club. I kind of loved it. Kind of loved it. It's a weird review. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> yeah. Kind of loved it? Those are complete <laughs> Pretty off- good scene better. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you're jealous of David Fincher <laughs> without telling me you're jealous of David Fincher. <laughs> For real, man. Fight Club is a classic. Goodness. All right, and our last Letterboxd review is number one Gizmo fan <laughs> is the name. gizmo from the gremlins (laughs) that's their name okay gizmo's fan club here we go (laughs) you actually named your cat gizmo back in the day back when i was a little kid what a cute little kitty all right gizmo's fan wrote (laughs) gizmo never liked me (laughs) she never liked anyone no she wouldn't let anyone better all right this man freak out here with the craziest keto gluten free paleo duke and atkins diet breakfast mcmuffin with no bun Lunch, hard-boiled gas station egg, yep. <laughs> dinner, Advil, whiskey, and Starbucks coffee. You wish you had this discipline. <laughs> That's how you stay that lean. Yeah. You can't be... The, he, Michael Fassbender is a lean motherfucker, and Yeah. you can only eat gas station eggs and egg muffins without buns to get there. He needs to be in great shape because he's a race car driver. True. He has they, to stay light. Yeah, they are They're extremely well-conditioned, um, those guys. But very thin and Yeah, yeah they, they have, have the same to be time. light yeah. and like, aerodynamic. Yeah, <laughs> <you know, laughs> <laughs> they're driving convertibles. Like, they don't want to add <laughs> too much weight to the car. Yeah, yeah. They're like yeah. as thin as possible for being healthy and strong still, <laughs> while still being able to handle that machine. Exactly, it's yeah. like almost like cutting weight. Yeah. All right, let's get back into. I want to talk about why he missed because we learned first the of all, the killer, or not Fincher, the killer. Yeah, because some people think he missed. Fincher his didn't history. miss. Well, we let's get into why it's misunderstood after this. Yeah. Because the killer for the first. Fifteen minutes. I loved it. It reminded me of two movies: The Conversation from Francis Ford Coppola. Squeeze mm-hmm. that out in between both Godfathers. Sick <laughs> <laughs> reference to the, to the gentleman. <laughs> and then Rear Window, obviously. Of course, voyeuristic. And he watching. Made a great tweet about that today. And then there's also a great narration about his psyche, his views on the world, and he's uh, obsessed with statistics and all these numbers. And we hear these great little anecdotes about different aspects to life, whether it be life and death or or different cultural things. So it's, it's a really great opening and we're being put into the position of the killer of waiting to waiting for his moment to strike and there's a there's a line that really for the most part explains how he missed because he says he's got a 1000 average brings up Ted Williams he had a 340 base batting average all career which is never going to be touched he's the greatest hitter of all time but even he was 340 but the killer is 1000 he's never made a mistake but this movie His catalyst is a mistake he makes. So why did he make a mistake? How did he make a mistake here? What was the reason for it? I think it's clearly stated. He has a quote um, in his narration while he's waiting for his prey. And he says, One of the many lies told by the U.S. military industrial complex, my favorite, is still their claim that sleep deprivation didn't qualify as torture. He's having trouble sleeping in this unfinished building. He's staying up. He's waiting the boredom. And he also has that line, that great line of... Blah, 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 blah. Sorry, I got it right here. It's amazing how physically exhausting it can be to do nothing. And so, could think about that. And then also, he has that phone call with his handler asking when's this guy going to show up. Like, it's clearly been delayed by at least a day or two. So, he's been doing this for an extra probably 36 hours than he was intending to do. So, it's weighing down on him. And so, I believe that he missed the shot. Because of sleep deprivation. Yeah, probably. Especially because he has that watch, the digital watch that wakes him up, I'm assuming, like every hour. Yeah. So sleep, sleep deprivation definitely put him in a weakened state, even though he's insanely focused. But maybe it's a lot simpler than that. Maybe it's more that no one's perfect. Yeah. You know, the, the reason why he's still alive in his line of work is because he's never missed. But maybe it's inevitable that everybody misses at some point mm-hmm. because we're all only human. And I think that maybe for me, it's more of it was going to happen at some point. And it was just a combination of bad luck. Like you said, sleep deprivation. He's been there for almost a week now, looking out this goddamn window the whole time, eating his breadless egg McMuffins. And then we finally have the target that he's been waiting for for 22 minutes. He's been waiting for this target for the movie, for us watching. For him, it's been a week. Yeah. And it's finally there and there are catalysts going on that he has no control of the guy is sitting in awkward positions he's moving around behind a wall there is a a sex dominatrix there with him that's blocking his view he's only got a couple seconds it looks like to take the shot and he seems to rush it even though he gets his heartbeat down to below 60 like he's supposed to do even though he's living by his code and the way he functions he still misses i think it's just a combination of a catalyst of all those things but also is inevitable to miss. Yeah, that's a great point. Inevitability. Nobody's and, perfect. Yeah, and actually, it's funny. When I was watching this movie, and we saw it in theaters, and it's really fantastic on the big screen because we've said so many times before in our coverage of David Fincher, he's such a master of the camera and of directing. And just the way he sets up his shots, he his choice of shots, choice of angles, how he tilts and pans and moves the camera when he chooses to, the length of the subject to the to the lens it's really so incredible to behold i could just watch this guy shoot people like picking like i just watch his insert insert shots all day yeah yeah absolutely and i actually saw a lot in common with the character the killer as in with fincher (laughs) extremely precise he's literally me yeah extremely precise (laughs) very controlling very disciplined Lack of empathy, you know, he doesn't care if he offends people or, like, makes people work a little extra. Like, if he needs to get a shot, he's going to get a shot, and they're not done. They don't rap until he gets what he wants. And so I saw a lot of qualities that I'm sure David Fincher related to when he read the novel, the graphic novel and then wanted to implement into that. So I saw, like, this could be a character that is more like David Fincher than anyone else he's put on screen in his films. Possibly, and I loved Fincher's aesthetic. And m- many of his films in the last... Since really social network, you could say with the yellow blue coloring scheme. Of course, it's in there with Gone Girl for sure. And I, I would say this movie looks totally so much like Gone Girl as well as. I'm, I'm blanking. What do you do before Gone Girl? Before Well, he did Benjamin Button and then social network and then Gone Girl. Social. Yeah, okay. So. What am so- I. I, I'm I, but it. I know you're. I know you're saying because he never really put blue too much in his films. It, there would be sequences. Gone Girl's blue is hell. Uh, yeah, with these lead, with his more recent films, it's gonna be kind of like a contrasting of the colors more throughout the ca- course of the films. But he would still have th- blue sequences like the igloo scenes in Fight Club. True. Yeah. But for the most part, his early films had a dominating yellow aesthetic. But he's also shooting on film back then. Yeah. F- until then, so that's why it was less of this digital coloring that he was doing. Exactly. But it still had that yellowish hue. You can see it in 7, you can see it in Fight Club a lot. But now, Benjamin Button is very yellow. But now, recently, he's been using a lot of blues to coincide with the yellows in in really beautiful ways. Very similar to Guillermo del Toro likes to do yellows and blues, the, the, the the cyan and yellow. And it's just a really great opposite of the color wheel combination. And for this film, I actually... I can't think of him using green as much as in this film, and I really like that. Not, yeah, not at all, really. It's a very yellow and blue film. I was going to say Dragon Tattoo. So dragon Tattoo. girl, the, girl uh, Gone Girl and the Girl with a Dragon Tattoo are... Kind of the exact tone and feel of this film, if you put those two together, it feels and looks just like those two, especially I would say Gongrel 2. Well, actually, both those, especially. Well, I would say maybe it's like he's found his vision exactly his vibe. style. Yeah. Fincher's like a, he's always been an auteur, but now he's an aesthetic and visual tour as well. And even the sequences where he does obviously these dark moments of montages where he does these slow black fade in fade outs of a shot, like when he kills the lawyer. And he's put, disposing of the lawyer's body. With Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross' awesome, vibrating, heart-beating score, just vroom, vroom, coming and the in. The blinking it. of and black. The, the fading yeah. blinks like when he does little montages like that. That he was doing in Gone Girl. That he was doing in Dragon Tattoo as well, heavily. A- yeah, absolutely. It's a really cool technique, but it needs to be used properly. It can be easily used in a cheesy way, but when you have that great score with the excellent directing, it just really... It brings in this tone and mood to the moment that takes you like you're like oh my god this is shocking to me and trent reznor and atticus ross destroyed the screen again with their score right from the destroy get-go destroy our ears yeah destroy our ears not this in a good way yeah in the opening <laughs> title sequence it was just right off the bat i was like here we go because make was so different yeah make was black and white it had a more traditional orchestral score so it Make out of all of his films, does feel out of place in his filmography. And there's it's, not really a bunch of killers in it. Yeah, there's no killing in it at all. <laughs> Nobody died in it. It's weird. <laughs> and obviously, he did that intentionally. Social was, network, no yeah. one dies, right? Yeah, yeah, no one dies. I don't think so. No, no one dies. No, no <laughs> I just watched it. Just, there's yeah, no murder. Yeah, no, no one gets killed. People get fucked over, but <laughs> no one dies. But this, that Make does, Make is an outlier in his filmography, and then... It was just great to see his aesthetic again, especially to see it on the big screen because I hadn't seen it, a film of his in theater since Gone Girl. So that's, what's that, eight years? Nine years. Nine years since I saw a a David Fincher film on the big screen. And so being able to see this film, we saw it at Alamo Drafthouse. And I think a reason maybe why it's it's not as loved as we were hoping it would be is because we saw it on the big screen and most people are watching it at home and there's just a different experience i mean we talk about it all the time how important that being in that room that big room the lights go down nobody's touching their phone and you're just taking in the film that you're watching whether whatever it is with a group of people the sounds fantastic and the picture's incredible and it really immerses you so this is a, a problem with not doing theatrical releases is the power of the film might not get across on screen when you're sitting on your couch when you have your phone next to you when you're maybe with your significant other or, or a couple of buddies, and there's chit chats going on. Maybe your roommate walks in the house. Someone's cooking. Like there's so many things that can be going on where it doesn't have that same singular experience as going to the film theaters. And so I think that's the reason why this film the the first reason why this film is not being well received by audiences is because of that reason. And also maybe audiences from the trailer were expecting more of an action heavy film, more of an espionage film. And this is quite the opposite of that. There's so maybe quite a bit of an. Es- I wouldn't say it's espionage. Yeah. There's a lot of investigation going on. Yeah, but not. So, yeah, but not quite like spy stuff. I mean, if, yeah. if well, he's not a spy, but yeah. like in the perspective of an assassin having the same job as a spy, except just like a gun for hire. Yeah, with no country that they're rooting for and no like. They're not, be- no, they're not a zealot. Personary. They don't believe in anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same job, you yeah. could say, an assassin versus, like, a secret agent because he's doing a ton of investigation and a ton of, quote-unquote, espionage in this film. Like, the whole movie's espionage, bro. Well, no, no I, espionage is... I, I believe the definition of espionage is when you're behind... When you're on a different... Um, No, yeah no but like we all knew it was a hitman movie like i don't think the trailer insinuated that it's an espionage film but it's okay espionage was the wrong word hunting action heavy yeah i think i I guess i didn't i never got the feeling that it was going to be an action heavy movie from the trailer even the same thing with dragon tattoo i never got the feeling that that was going to be an action heavy movie too oh no yeah but i'm saying general audiences sure i mean i guess but i think everyone knows who david fincher is and they know whether or not they like his movies i mean he's been around for so long I think that it's got such bad scores because not everyone is into, I think, slow openings. And it's not slow in a bad way, slow in a great way. Very patient film. This is maybe his most patient movie he's ever made. Because it opens 22 minutes waiting for the the killer to get his target to actually fire. You can sneeze, man. Let it out. I'm burping. Oh, you're burping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anthony has uh, his face in his elbow. <laughs> I got like it out minute. silently. <laughs> well, it's now everybody knows I burps. <laughs> Anthony Belch, I think I can smell it, man. It's disgusting. Don't do that. Why would you do that? <laughs> but, you know, this movie opens 22 minutes of heavy voiceover narration, one character, mostly in a room. It's it's the closest thing to a Rear Window I've ever seen, even though he leaves the apartment or this, this loft for a couple of moments. It's still... of it is inside this one room looking out a window. Not everyone's into that. And, you know, attention spans have become so short lately. And obviously, most of the streaming content's made. They've even admitted that because we're based off. We're basing our movies off. It's a secondary screen. People are on their phones at the same time, like you just said. So people aren't really as tuned into what's happening or engrossed in the film. But I think the slow open for, for a lot of people, if they're watching at home, it's tough to fully get into it. I loved it. I watched it. Second viewing, and it was better for me... Well, not better than me. Better for me the second time, because obviously we it in a the theater. But I think the slow open for the first act before the gunshot, not everyone these days can get into a movie like that. It's sad. It's unfortunate, because you'll get greatly rewarded with this terrific filmmaking here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's a great point. It, it actually adds to the theater experience, because when you're in the theater, you're there. So if you even if you're a little bored for a moment, you're still there. You can't pull out your phone... You can't like fast forward. You're beholden to the picture on screen, and that's the that's it. that's in charge of the moment, not you. Whereas I'm sure a lot of people watching it at home, they're watching it. They're like, man, nothing's happening. Oh, let me pull out my phone and look on Instagram, or yeah, let me grab some tick. Oh, I got a text from my friends. It's- and the character's not speaking. It's yeah. voiceover, so yeah. they're not watching his mouth move. So they're not like beholden to pay attention. They can just listen to what he's saying, I guess. And then you're out of it. Then you're out of the film completely. You're not gonna. You're never gonna get pulled back into it if you already made the choice to leave the film. And so I think that watching it at home, this is a movie that is, I mean, I know Fincher is happy to work with Netflix because they're giving him the money he needs to make the projects he wants to make. But a con to that is a film like this isn't made. I mean, I don't think the best context is to watch it streaming only. I think the best context is to watch it in a theater and really immerse yourself in the psyche of the character because that's what it is. It's a exploration of this man's mind and... I I loved the opening, just like you. We were 15 minutes into it, and I was just like, this is fucking awesome. Like, I could watch this all night. That's how good I thought it was. And the opening is really an exploration into his mind. We We learn so much about the killer. Like, we've talked about, we've learned that he's never missed. We've learned about his discipline, his vigilance. He's got this camouflage that he's created from this German tourist that he saw in London. He's like... Parisians hate German tourists, so it's like the perfect cover. We talk. We talks about his precision. He talks about we see how precise he is in terms of getting rid of evidence. He bleaches everything he touches it with the sink, spits water out, bleaches that as well. His uh, watch with his pulse rate keeping under sixty. We see him taking no chances really. And in addition to all of that, we watch him miss. And all of this buildup of how great he is at his job how he's perfected it basically it's all just shot to shit because he finally misses for the first time and even then he's still great at his job he gets out of there as quickly as possible gets rid of the evidence in great ways and in, in yeah, strategic ways it. He's, it, everything's so planned out for this guy that's why it's so fascinating to watch him fail at something and then still watch him try to clean up his tracks and he's an expert at getting incognito you mentioned is his costuming so he uh, one of the main costume outfits, well, uh, costume pieces, is the bucket hat, which we see prevalently. He also has a, a si- similar colored baseball cap he wears a lot. But I love the bucket hat. He wears the sunglasses. A lot of the colors he's wearing are whites and tans. He just is kind of like blending in completely he's very incognito he's unmemorable that's what he says he has that great line it's impossible to be invisible in the 21st century so be forgettable basically yeah be as forgettable as possible and so i love his costuming because everything from his shoes to his jackets are light in color and so like it's he's not going to wear primary colors he's not going to wear reds or blues or greens or yellows or anything he's going to wear these these desaturated tones and these very non-vibrant colors and also In terms of logistically, he actually has a bunch of pseudonyms he works on. So we see a bunch of his fake names throughout the course of the film, whether it be passports, credit cards, or licenses. All of the names he uses are actually characters from famous sitcoms in American TV. And so the first one is Sam Malone, who is the bartender of of Cheers in Frasier, played by Ted Danson. (laughs) The second one is Robert Hartley, who was a character on the Bob Newhart show in the 1970s. And then we had Lou Grant, who was the news editor on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And can I guess one of them? George Jefferson, right? George Jefferson from the Jeffersons, correct. Then we have Archie Bunker, who is the protagonist of All in the Family. Then Felix Unger, who is the lead character in The Odd Couple. And then lastly, Reuben Kincaid, who was a lead character of the Partridge family. So all of the aliases... He uses our sitcom actors. So it's like he's a consumer of pop culture. Yeah. And consumption is definitely yeah, speaking a, of- a major theme in this film. And I know a lot of people, the first time they watched it, I saw a lot of opinions online how they, they can't believe all the product placement in this movie. Of course, It's something Fincher's done in many of his movies, but there's probably the most consumerism and product placement in all of his movies in terms of the amount of corporations and logos and things you see. And it's used in the film. Yeah, yeah, so we have McDonald's, we have Ace Hardware, we have Amazon, we have Postmates, all kinds of things. Amazon lockers. And I know some people on the surface. Baliquinox. Baliquinox, which isn't really <laughs> a place. But I cracked up when I saw It's, a, that. Jo- it's the yeah. same fun and it's yeah. Equinox It's really great. So a lot of people might see, oh, they're just doing it to make money. It's product placement for money. That's not why Pinterest doing this at all. It's Netflix. They don't need money from Postmates <laughs> to make this movie. They're fine. <laughs> Netflix has swimming pools full of cash. They don't need Postmates money? <laughs> like, definitely not. They don't need their twenty percent off discount on delivery fees, which really doesn't do anything. But the reason why he's doing it for is for two things: to show what our lives are like. The average person, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are your recycling bin this week is full of Amazon boxes. <laughs> I guarantee it. You probably received a package today, or you're waiting for one. I bet you're got, unwrapping one right you now. You got a notification <laughs> said your product, your 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 uh, order is ten blocks, ten spaces away. Watch on the map. We all use Amazon. We all use we use Postmates. Everything it shows the normal world, our real world, because he's integrating it. And a, a lot of filmmakers, it depends on the context of what you're making, but they'll avoid things like this because. They don't want it in their film maybe to take away from the artistic value of it. But I, I like how Fincher embraces it really effectively because he's putting you in our world because we understand this is the way things are today. Consumerism's everywhere. And it also shows how easy you can kind of get away with things even though, like he says in the beginning of the film, it's impossible to be invisible in the 21st century because there are cameras everywhere. It's just be unmemorable, be forgettable. You can still get away with things avoiding cameras these days like you can go to ace hardware and get a bunch of things to clean up a body but just have the parking lot the guys that work there bring it to the parking lot with for you and you just check your phone and they come and put in your in back of your van no questions asked you're not getting picked up on security cameras at all the postmates when he obviously we're spoiling stuff when we when he infiltrates the secure building of the billionaire at the end of the film Who needs a Trojan horse when you have Postmates? (laughs) When When the guy you're supposed to kill, the client wants his watermelon sushi or whatever he says, and obviously Postmates gets access to the garage door. Just wait for Postmates to come. So it's all done on purpose to put us in our world of our consumerism, of course, in the countries we live in, Western civilization, corporations everywhere. We use them every single day, but also to show how they can be used to do crazy things, or you can do almost anything with, The advantage we have with technology these days and i'm i'm glad you pointed out that postmates thing with the client claiborne because it shows that even someone who's a billionaire who's so powerful who has intense security it shows the dependence on technology and the convenience of technology and how how much we love it and we're willing to and like how it really does kind of ingrain itself in our private lives and our personal lives and you know how many deliveries we get a day as opposed to when we were growing up, it was like you never got anything delivered except for someone shipped something to you personally. It was a big deal when you got a package. Yeah, when you got a package, it <laughs> was like, whoa, is- we got a package? It's like only your birthday. You picked everything up where you bought things at the store. Like you never did that. But nowadays, we get so much, we get so many deliveries and there's so much a uh, connection between us and corporations. It's like a, literally a like, personal connection that's intro- in- infiltrated our lives. And it's great in this film because it's showing that this guy is in the top secret he's got great security he lives in a very private controlled building but postmates can get in. It's a great it's a great metaphor <laughs> to a point. Yeah, and then also using Amazon cuz the killer's working on the fly. He's kind of improv- improvising as he's going along. He's like okay, what do I need to get this guy? What do, what do I need to grab? And he doesn't go well, you're not going to go to different stores now you're just going to find it all on your phone. Keith uh, the fob duplicate. Yeah, and then you're going to get it delivered at an Amazon locker just it just makes sense it's like what a real person in the situation would do it's i know it's not sexy and it's not cinematic however like you said bring these brands into the film these things that we are we use so often and that are so recognizable to us amazon postmates uh, ace hardware it really makes us feel like oh this is like a guy in the real world and it, it could be anybody. Like, that guy over there could be the killer, or like, a guy you're walking by in the store could be the killer. And I think that's also a reason why he did that, because it makes you feel like this is a real guy in the world somewhere. And puts the killer in the real world. Why wouldn't a killer like this? If he's just a guy, this is his job. I think that's one of the fun parts of the movie. <laughs> is he, It's just his day job in a lot of ways. It's what he does for a living. Why wouldn't he use conveniences of technology and take advantage of them? And Oh crap, I need a fob duplicator. Let me just go on Amazon. It'll be at this locker in 12 hours because a, this is in New York City and it'll be right there. They have warehouses everywhere. So why wouldn't a killer use the convenience of technology to their advantage if they have fake identities and they can't get a trace back to them? It's just it's just what would it's real. It's realistic. But Finch is really good at using it effectively and not overdoing it. But even things like integrating text on screen, yeah. I think he did a great job because he saves it for just a couple moments. Really the second and third act when he's infiltrating this guy's building and just planning the kill, or we think it's going to be a kill. And we have a couple sequences of Google search and Amazon search just popping up little bubbles. It's very subtle, but really artistic and really well done. And it works so well. And that's really all we get in a couple, you know, ordering the, the key fob duplicator and stuff like that. Very simple stuff, but he saves it until the third act. Doesn't overdo it. And there's quite a lot of tech used in the film. Um, Airbnb nanny cams. It's like makes sense that that would be used in situation. Uh, the situation. Smartphones are seen a lot. The digital locks on these motorcycles. He has one that he struggles to open at first when he's trying to escape. But I've never seen one of those before. They must be coming out now nowadays in, in metropolitan areas. We obviously get so much smartphone use. Smartwatch use, the heart rate meter. MP3 player is an old tech that I love seeing. And also, it's kind of like he prefers to have like a, a controlled set playlist as opposed to like you know, a Spotify-suggested playlist or Top 40. So I like that he has an MP3 player. Well, it keeps him off the grid. Yeah. So I'm sure he changes smartphones every day because he always breaks, breaks one. Them, yeah. So he probably gets a new smartphone every day. But his MP3 player is the only constant piece of technology in his life. And maybe in addition to that, the heart rate watch. And also... The fingerprint safe buried in the backyard in Dominican Republic is very cool. I love that. I love that. I want one of those. (laughs) In addition to the safe, a giant, beautiful home on the beach of Santa Domingo. And the thing is, this movie, it's really... The story isn't anything we haven't seen before. You know what I mean? It's like, we've seen the assassin... The rogue assassin storyline played out a bunch. Lay Samurai, basically. Yeah, Yeah, Lace Samurai. I mean, the Jason Bourne movies is the the assassin gone rogue. uh, uh, Making an error... But it's really... Every story's been told. But can you tell a story differently or in a unique way or a fresh way and bring something new to the table? And, I mean, cliches are cliches for reasons. This is something that... It's not the most original story ever. But... It's something... Like, I know what I wanted. When I saw this film, I'm like, Yes, an assassin movie with Fassbender. Fincher directing. I'm like, sign me up. I know we're going to get scenes that we've seen similar things before in previous films. But... It's with artists that I love, and I know they're going to do something different with it. And so that's what... It, not every movie has to be completely original and unique. Some, I mean, there are genres, and like genres have to hit certain beats. Or to tell a certain kind of story, you're going to have to tell scenes... You have to portray scenes that we've seen before in certain regards, you know what I mean? And so it's okay for something to kind of feel like it's been done before, but is Fitcher doing it in an exciting way? And I think he did. We do get also a bunch of great philosophy in sort of the perspective of someone who's a voyeur every day, you know, waiting for targets to come into frame and spending so much time observing people. And he talks about people really often in addition to many of the statistics, you know, he brings up how a person dies like every 11 seconds while 7 are brought into the world, the population is 7.8 billion. What I do will not make any difference basically me being a killer. And we can assume he's been doing this for probably a couple decades. You know, he's Looks like he's in his 50s, and he's very good at his job. He's never missed. And I think the opening intro shows, you know, we see like maybe 12 different ways of murder, and he's probably done all those a dozen times each and so many other interesting ways, and even the way he threatens the client at the end. Like, I'll find a fitting way, whether it's the lip of your coffee mug or on your elevator step or something like that, I'll find a way, a fitting way to kill you if I have to come back here again. So you can assume he's killed probably hundreds of people people over the course of a couple decades, but he also observes people. And I like, while he's waiting for the target to appear in the first act, he's just watching the neighborhood, watching the streets, watching all the little nuances of people's daily life. That guy who has to crawl through that little (laughs) door to get inside of his door to unlock his business or the woman sweeping outside the restaurant, just these little things that he's picking up on, on humanity. And he's always talking about humanity because he's probably learned more from people in his profession than anyone else, maybe even more than a psychiatrist who talks to people for a living, basically, because he sees people at incredibly vulnerable moments. He observes them in their darkest hours. He knows what they're really like, and obviously the moments before they die. So I'm sure he just has gathered so much data internally about human nature. And he talks about how he questions this, this, this concept that everyone believes that people are innately are innately good. And he's like, where does that come from? Why why do people assume we're all innately good? It's really, maybe he's just debating that it's just on your upbringing, but are humans full of innate goodness? And I think that's a great question that he asks himself or he asks the audience. Well, the killer is very cynical and he's nihilistic. And that's why he looks at people in this often a negative regard. And he looks at himself as outside of the pack. He says, I can't remember the line specifically, but he's he's like, what not one of the few no, many? He's one what, of the and few. now, Lucky, what are you doing here? You're here with the normies. Are yeah. oh, you talking about the? So on he the said, train, no, he says in narration in the first in the waiting, waiting for the target. He says, "I'm not one of the many. I'm one of the few." And then at the end of the film, oh, yeah, book ends it. Now at the end of the film, he actually does go trans- through transformation, where he's not an assassin anymore, and he says, "Now I'm one of the many, and I'm no longer one of the few." And so at the end of the film, he he retires. He's not going to be a killer anymore, or maybe he does twitch his eye a little bit. He Fincher he holds the camera on him, and you see his eye go twitching, meaning that you know maybe that might not last for very long this new plan of his. But he does transform as a character, as a human being, and in, at the end of the film, I look at it as oh, he's given up the life. He's just going to live off of the money he saved, which is more than he could spend, and with the love of his life. But I do think that eye twitch at the end shows that you know there might be. That might only last for a finite amount of time but he does transform and because in the opening of the film he looks at himself as i'm not a normal person i'm i'm someone that is so unique and i look at other people in a negative light that's why he's so cynical he's like separated from humanity but then through the experience of the film failing going through all the ups and downs and also the person he loves almost dying and seeing her in that state makes him question everything he's been doing makes him question who he is until eventually he gets to the point where he actually doesn't kill the client at the end. You'd think that the guy in the first act would have definitely killed the client. No no questions asked. would have murdered that guy right in his apartment. I mean, he killed the taxi driver. Yeah, exactly. So he transforms into a person who doesn't want to be a killer anymore. Maybe he's realizing he does, doesn't really have it in him anymore. And that miss could also be a, a piece of evidence of, like, maybe if I can't be perfect, maybe I shouldn't even do this anymore. So maybe I should hang up the hat and him not killing the client at the end is also him trusting someone like I trust that you're not going to hire someone else to try and take me out or pursue this problem any further. So the killer is actually trusting a complete stranger, someone who he would have killed two days ago. And so he does go through immense transformation in the film. That's a great point. And how about we head to our superlatives and then our intermission. And we just want to say one of the best ways you can support our show before we get to superlatives is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. It's a subscription-based form of support. It's how we pay the bills, really. Patreon is essential to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We have five different tiers of membership. Everyone gets access to a weekly bonus episode. You can also get the ad-free version of all of our episodes at the minimum $5 tier Access to our Discord at $10 tier, and every perk going up is just astounding, incredible. There's just so many perks to name off, but we have so many great things that you can do on Patreon. We have over 250 episodes on there that only patrons can access, so thank you so much. Sign up at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. And our ad-free experience is available on Spotify, too, if you're a $5 tier and up patron. You can listen to ad-free episodes on Spotify. Now let's get into superlatives and start with who is the MVP of The Killer, Anthony? Gotta go with uh, David Fincher, man. Mm -hmm. It's a really unique film. It's really incredible. I love everything about it. And Michael Fassbender does carry the film from an acting standpoint, but the the precision of the camera work and the score, the overall direction and, and vision of the film is so... Uh, General, it, it's its own thing in this genre of the assassin genre, and I just it separated itself from anything else I'd seen. My MVP is the pitbull. Just Aww. kidding. No, <laughs> nice. <laughs> My MVP is really Michael Fassbender. He's in. I'm pretty sure he's in every single frame or scene of this movie. Obvious, of course. Sure. Which is rare for movies to have your mm-hmm. character in every single scene. I love it when it's done really well. When you have an actor like Michael Fassbender. He really pulls it off so well because he's so intriguing to watch on camera. He's such a terrific actor, but it can go wrong if you don't have the right actor or actress in your role and you're putting them in every single scene. So it's a burden, obviously, to carry a film with that in mind. I think it's just a huge role and huge commitment that he nailed with this movie, one of my all-time favorite fastbender performances. But I think that's why I give it to him because he's in every scene. I love movies where the char- the lead character is in every scene because it really puts you into their shoes because when you if you if you there if there are conversations with the client and someone else outside of the killer's view like point of view then it would take away the subjective viewpoint that Fincher's trying to put you into. Mm-hmm. It works really well. All right, best actor. Best what? Best actor. Actor. Best actor. <laughs> uh, Michael Fassbender has got to take the cake. Yeah, I mean it's, it's Michael or the, Fassbender. Or the pit the Yeah, Michael Fassbender 100%. Tilda's great, but only a, a couple of yeah, scenes, only a few minutes. Who do you have or what is your Best scene, my best scene is the fight, man. That fight, we'll talk about it in depth later, but it's unbelievable. I was moving around in my seat. I was like feeling every blow and the camera work and the the stunt coordination. And, let's talk about it now. Yes, yeah, I mean, I mean, what's what we're doing, man? Yeah, it's just let's talk about the fight scene in The Killer, which is astounding. It's my favorite scene from the movie too. I love the lawyer office scene as well. Yeah, the whole sequence of him breaking in there very discreetly with the recycling camouflage. I think that's really awesome. But the fight scene on the stunt team and what they did with this movie is absolutely sensational. It's like a four-minute fight scene as well. It's really long, but what's so special about it is we have a huge opponent, a David versus Goliath kind of scene where the killer, he's like six feet, six foot one, 180 tops. And then he's going up against a guy that's like 6'4", 280. This guy's a beast. They make that creatine joke before when he's trailing them at the casino And this guy is messing him up. But because the killer, you can assume, has so much experience with fighting, and he's maybe more of a clever person when it comes to -to hand-to-hand combats, that he's able to get upper hands multiple times, but even also get his ass handed to him multiple times. It's a great back and forth, and they destroy that apartment. And like Anthony said, you feel like you're in this fight. Yeah, the brute, he was just a great combatant against the killer because as the killer kind of... He is kind of bragging, in a way, throughout the course of the film, in the first act. Like, bragging about how great he is at everything, in a way. In a way, but he also says he's not not great, he says he's not perfect. Yeah, he's not- he says, I'm not exceptional. Yeah, however, when you put him into this situation, like, there's a- I didn't think he was gonna die, but I thought, like, he was gonna get destroyed. He did get destroyed, but it was- I- you don't really feel that kind of fear in a fight anymore in films. It's always like, oh, I mean, the guys, the hero's gonna win. You don't really feel that stakes, those stakes anymore. And I don't know if that's a testament to like maybe nights fights aren't being aren't as brutally depicted as this or as realistically depicted. And also, I mean, when you have so many of the main action sequences are people shooting lasers at each other, it just like doesn't feel real. This this fight felt real. This fight fight felt tangible. Uh, it felt like it was in our faces, and it felt like we were in the room with them. And the camera work exceptional. I saw some complaints online of people saying they didn't like how dark it was. It's like the guy he snuck up on him in the middle of the night. Like the lights like aren't gonna be lights aren't gonna be on. It's not gonna be perfectly lit. And it's just all practical lighting. The lamps and the TV, uh, and a few things here and there providing all the light sources. So it just really makes sense in terms of the realism of the of the setting and the authenticity of the environment. And that's another thing that really pulled you into the scene so well. But the fight is it's brutal. And the killer is clearly outmatched. Without a gun, he can't take this guy on. But he does use everything to his advantage. He grabs anything he can use as a weapon, whether it be the bong, whether it be uh, the the fire poker. He's throwing glasses at his face. He's- Cheese grater. Cheese grater. He's doing. Every- <laughs> That's a great joke. He's doing everything he can to just keep this guy like off his ass because this guy is gonna pulverize him. And it's like it's scary and like they're. Busting through furniture and breaking through the walls. And, man, I was just, like, on the edge of my seat during this fight. And both men get messed up. And especially the the, second—the brute, he takes— So the killer takes the fire poker, knocks the gun out of the pistol out of the brute's hand right when the brute is going to fire on him. And then he trips up the brute, and the brute falls onto some piece of furniture that basically stabs him in the thigh. It looks like it severs an artery because— when he's tracking the killer through the bathroom, he's just bleeding profusely from one of his limbs. I think this is left leg. No, yeah, that's when he falls on the table. The table, yeah, the it's table like the leg. Corner, Yeah, the table leg just like pierced right into his thigh, and he's got. He's just bleeding out, but he's just still pursuing the killer. It seems like it was like one of those moments where it's like a Terminator-esque villain where it's not unrealistic, but it's like this guy is so strong and so unrelenting that not, none of this is even. Stopping him and that's what I think adds so much fear to the situation for the killer and the camera work They do I, I feel like they did this really cool technique where whenever we there was a blow The camera like did a really sh- great shake mm-hmm. like it vibrated. Yeah, so we kind of great sound design of the the hits and the punching and the kicks and the the bashing against walls and everything but it felt like the camera would do these really cool sharp vibrations that were maybe digital it felt like they were digital vibrations when blows were landing. I thought that was really cool. Put you in the fight scene. The stunt team—they did a terrific job in this scene. All the credit to them. They did such a such a great choreography with it because it was—it felt realistic. Lots of just haymakers and big pit, big fists and throwing just these giant punches versus like something like very choreographed or like nothing like. Like, it, someone doesn't look like- Something it, that looks planned. Yeah, it doesn't look like they have, like, a gr- Like, they're technically trained as martial artists, which I, I really like. Maybe the killer has jujitsu training, which is why he's able to escape from being below the- The brute he multiple def- times. Can, he definitely has training, and then the brute is just basically just, like, a guy brawling. But, like, you yeah. could hear the- The wind blowing when he was throwing these haymakers, and it was intense, man. I loved it. And he- They fucked each other up. They really did. Yeah, it was great. And- it, When the dog showed up, I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, my God, get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. There are two dogs that he's afraid of in this movie. You know, the dog at the airport at first, he's, like, scared of the dog sniffing him and hearing the the residue from the bullets probably. So that's why he's scrubbing the hell out of his skin. He's like, I might as well clean my eyes and scrub my eyes. I've done the best I can do. But he's afraid of that dog smelling him. then he sees the other dog here that he's obviously afraid of, this, this beast pit bull that probably didn't have the best owners and looks aggressive as hell and so he subdues him for as long as he can with the uh the treats. And Fincher and his DP also they did these if the if sometimes if a punch would be thrown or uh the movement of the trajectory of the actors when it was in a direction he would do a, a quick pan slightly to add to that movement. And it's really just this adds this energy to the cam work to really make you feel like you're in the flow of the fight. It's so good. And it was just so well done. And I I mean that other guy, the guy who played the brute, did a great job in his role as well, and it reminded me of another Fassbender fight in a Steven Soderbergh film, *Haywire*, mm. with um, Carlo DiGino, and they had a great fight in the hotel room scene in that movie. Another one, just very physical, very brutal, very realistic, not showy or flashy. And it's just very, very reminiscent of that fight. Fastbender does a great job in fight sequences. He's, yeah. he's really shown him, like shown When him he gets tackled like through the doorway and he just smashes into the wall, it's, oh my God. Aw- it's awesome. Man. Oh my God. It's so good. Overall, it's just a terrific scene. But speaking of, camera work and everything, what is your favorite shot from the killer? And it's hard to choose because there are so many. Good question. And I, the first act alone is just filled with so many incredible pieces of cinematography. My sh- my favorite shot is in the in, when he's waiting in the unfinished uh, apartment floor, building floor, and it's a shot from outside the window of the killer, just standing at the window, looking across the the road at the apartment suite across from him, just you know waiting for the target to come in. But the, that pane of glass, it's like that very thick glass and it has, you know, texture to it, the layers of glass. And it creates this kind of like filtered, weird effect on Fastbender, kind of blurry-ish, blurring of him. And it, the way it catches the light, this this certain kind of glass, it's just, it showed, like a, it was like a f- visual metaphor of the character and his psyche and his interior. And I thought that, it was just like, it's just a perfect image. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) It's a great shot. Perfection. So I pick, I have two that are tied. Um, My first tie is when. You have two ties? My first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so four shots. (laughs) No. The first of the tie is after he accidentally kills the lawyer too fast. He is planning to keep him alive for six or seven minutes, but he drowns in his blood really quickly. And he obviously has the newspaper blowing, but then when the little montage starts of the of the black fade to blacks with uh, the quick, like, it's like a heartbeat yeah. with the music that he does in Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl. It's really cool. He just takes the newspaper and just wraps his head with the newspaper. The lawyer's. Oh, yeah. It's a really cool, dark shot. I-, I loved it so much. That's a great shot. But then in the third act, at the end of the movie, when he's made it inside the client's condo, I might be reading too much into the shot, but he's talking to the client who is standing in front of a couple monitors in his living room, yeah. uh, all of the stock market, and over his stage right, sh- over his right shoulder is a TV screen that shows basically the stock market numbers of, of a specific stock, and then over his left shoulder are two monitors is another monitor that shows another stock that the candle, the candle pattern of it, and like the graph of it, where it looks like. A baseline reading of a heartbeat mm-hmm. in like a hospital that is about to baseline and go flat. So it's it's literally – so the first half of the, of the monitor of the stock is ups and downs, ups and downs. It looks like a heartbeat, like a healthy person who's alive. And then it just flat lines for the rest of the second half of the screen. So maybe it's a – That's cool. Maybe it's a tease of is he going to kill this guy, a little potential foreshadow to taking this client out – it could just be there by chance, but I feel like it's not because it's a David Fincher movie. So when I watched it the second time, I was like, "That looks kind of kind of cool. It looks like a baseline heart reading that of someone who was alive then died." I gotta watch it again now. I didn't remember that. That's cool. Yeah, I picked up on that. Wow, today. you're so insightful. I mean, you know I, you know, I do my best. You do a lot of investing, yeah. You know. Yeah. You're like you. You're good with patterns. Well, you know, you t- know that candlestick pattern, man. Yeah, that's literally me. <laughs> that's a cool shot. Yeah. I like that. I, I like really, I like that a lot. I'm gonna have to look this up now. Because aside from that, it's just this actor who I don't I don't know him by name or anything. Yeah, there's he's two like- actors in this film in big roles: the client and then the assistant. i have never seen them or anything before, but they're both very good. And he's just sitting against like the top of his of his couch. Yeah, it's not cinematically a like a gorgeous artistic shot, but I love it based off the production design and like a metaphor or a foreshadow of a potential outcome of the situation. There are a lot of great slow motion shots too. Fincher likes using slow motion at really specific points and he does it in a couple of action moments most notably when he fires the sniper rifle and we get that great flame and the explosion and just great slow motion and I I love when he does that because it's like he's very selective when he uses techniques like that and it's like when he does use it it's great. Yeah, I really like the POV through the scope as well. Cause at first he's just using it just to kind of watch the situ- watch the scenery around him. He's just observing humanity. Even puts it on like a kid, puts it on these people that are working their day-to-day lives. Then obviously he attaches it. But that when he kills when he accidentally kills the call girl, that's an awesome shot. It really is. I actually loved the reverse of the scope where we were looking through the scope from the outside and we saw his eye. Inside the scope. I'd never seen that shot before. I've seen that before, yeah. I, I, I couldn't picture. I couldn't remember seeing that before. I thought it was brilliant. It's pretty cool. It was great because we saw his eye o- close and then open inside the scope. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm watching movies, I'm like, oh, damn, that was, that's the shot. <laughs> that's it, man. <laughs> All right. What is your best or favorite line from The Killer? It's amazing how physically exhausting it can be to do nothing. It's a good one. It I cracked me up. Mine is. Let me pull it up right here, right here. Where is it? Hold on, hold the phone. He's got it's, it. He's it's, got it's it. The, it's the bookend line at the end. Where? Hold. on, Let me just Google it real quick. So it's it starts with fate is a placebo. Hold on. Uh-huh. Fate is a placebo. Well, I can say another line that I love. My second favorite. Yeah. Was say your say your second line. Oh wait, no, his, I got it already. About his uh, camouflage. No, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. So uh... <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> fate is a placebo the only life path the one behind you if in the brief time we're all given you can accept you can't accept this well maybe you're not one of the few maybe you're just like me yeah is, that's a cynic in him oh you no know, that's the book and then only change maybe you're not one of the few maybe you're just like me one of the many yeah that's how it ends yeah that's the ending of the film yeah i also loved my camo is based on a german tourist i saw in london a while back no one really wants to interact with a German tourist. Parisians avoid them like the rest of the world avoids street mimes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a funny movie. Yeah. There's a lot of really good lines in this, and I mean it works for. He does speak German, so it's perfect for Fassbender. <laughs> and then I actually so his. I have a couple of other lines that help describe his character. My process is purely logistical, narrowly focused by design. I'm not here to take sides. It's not my place to formulate any opinion. No one who can afford me needs to waste time winning me to some cause i serve no god or country i fly no flag i'm effective it's because of one simple fact we said earlier i, I don't, don't give, give a fuck. fuck and it's just like <laughs> that's what you want out of an assassin i just don't give a fuck and then the, the line that helps us understand his control as a as a as an assassin is stick to your plan anticipate don't improvise trust no one Never yield an advantage, and fight only the battle you're paid to fight. However, he breaks every one of those rules. He breaks sticking to your plan, he he improvises a lot, he trusts the clients at the end, he yields his advantage multiple times, and he does not fight battles he's only paid to fight. So he breaks all of those rules. And that's the rule you have to break <laughs> if you want to save one of them. Damn. Damn. <laughs> I really thought you were, Harvey. The way you threw yourself after her. This is a good one. I haven't done the Joker voice in a while. How about we move on into our intermission, pal? But before we continue, two incredible ways to support our show is to share us with your family and friends. Word of mouth is the best way for a podcast to grow. And we are competing now with an oversaturated market of fucking film podcasts everywhere and celebrities with their TV show podcasts. And it's tough to compete these days. So sharing us with your friends and let them know this is. And kick-ass podcast with these really cool funny cool dudes identical <laughs> twins <laughs> you're cool listen to your friend billy zane man he's a cool dude <laughs> Who have a movie podcast talk about great <laughs> stuff send the show it'd be very much appreciated or share in your stories on twitter instagram whatever and also leave those five star ratings on spotify and apple they help us get seen by new viewers they help us chart better we're at like 2400 on spotify now 1800 on Apple I'll read off an Apple review in just a moment because we love to read those but thank you so much to everyone who's left us a review but they are much appreciated if you haven't yet this episode of course is sponsored by our friends at movieposters.com the number one place to get your posters online today be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 to get ten percent off your order right now they have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library if you want to get a poster for the killer The best place to do that, of course, is at movieposters.com. They also do our bi-monthly movie poster giveaways, which we just did in our Arrival episode last week. We're going to do another one next week, so stay tuned for our next poster giveaway from movieposters.com. And in the meantime, the holiday season's coming. Nothing makes a better gift for the movie lover in your life than a great movie poster of their favorite film. So be sure to get them at... MoviePosters.com and use our promo code Raiders10 for that 10% off right now. Let's get into the intermission and start with the movie quote competition. You ready, pal? Ready. If the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. (laughs) Jurassic Park. (laughs) That's a good line. (laughs) Ian Malcolm. All right. Here's my quote. Did you know that I was struck by lightning seven times? I feel like I know this. Man. I don't know. You're going to kick yourself. It's Benjamin Button. (laughs) It's the guy. (laughs) They show all the times he got struck. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really funny. All right. Guess this movie release year, Antonio. What year did Fracture come out? Fracture came out in 2007. 2007 is correct. Oh, yeah, baby. Correct That's right. Okay. Sorry, I'm just getting my... I forgot to pick a streamer. I got one. Forgot to do your job? Yes. All right. What year did Adaptation come out? Two thousand. Yeah. 2000... I mean, yeah, if you think so. yeah. And five? 2002. It's quite old. Quite old. 20 years old. 21 years old. <laughs> Thanks. Now I guess I feel quite old. <laughs> Remember when that movie came out and you were a kid? Now you're old as fuck. <laughs> All right, movie pop quiz time. I saw a meme. Someone said me, sorry. That think about it. Uh, it's sad to think that 2006 is six is just as far away as, 2000, as 2040 is. What did you say? <laughs> 2006 with... is as far away as 2040 is from wow, right now. That's scary. Oh, my God. Why'd you have to say that, man? I was in a great mood today, too. Not even more, you're not. Well, movie pop quiz time. How many movies has David Fincher now made? Oh, good question. Hold on, let me count. One, two, three, three and a half. <laughs> hold on, so seriously. Seriously, hold on. Seriously, man. One, two, three, four. Say the title so people five. can hear. No, it's, you're messing me up. <laughs> Six, seven, Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Damn it! Twelve. You're one off. See, if you said them out loud, we could have figured out which one you didn't get. That's true. That's true. But now we don't, we'll never know because we can't read your mind, man. I skipped Make in my head. You would. Sounds like something you would do. I start. love Make. <laughs> <laughs> I put in my, uh, yeah, it was like. It's literally the last movie you made. I know. Well, well. Well, so what? Hey, how about you? It's like, ask, like eight years ago. has me asked me. <laughs> All right, what Leonardo DiCaprio movie did Tilda Swinton co-star in? Said that so aggressively. Um, you're looking it up on your phone? No, I'm looking at a review. Sure, you are. This is my screen. Sure, it is. It's literally a review. <laughs> I see Tilda Swinton IMDb page. No, it's a review. Someone wrote best podcast, but gave us two stars. It's Russ Jesse. Two stars, or even though we're the best. Yeah, remember I read his review. Episode, huh? Maybe he did that by accident. Did he not? Maybe they didn't like our reaction. It was a great reaction. We thanked him so much. Yeah, odd, odd. Um, hmm. Anyways, Tilda Swinton and Leonardo DiCaprio co starred. Co starred? She's a big role in it. Big role. Huh? That's a good question. I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> Come it. on, you got this. You can do this. No, I know, I know. I know. I'm just like thinking of Leo movies that she's in. Huh. I'm fucking drawing a blank, man. I don't know. The Beach. The Beach. Oh my God. They they're like they have sex in that they movie. They do yeah. have sex, yeah. Yeah, she plays the leader of the, the community. A lot of people forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> do we have any haters this week or unsubscribes? Oh yeah, we got some. We got some. One second. Well I pull it up. Dun, 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 dun. Any any time now, dun, man. Dun, where are my screenshots? Not those screenshots. Oh yeah, these are the the Yeah. Okay, okay. Na <clears throat> Nathanos <laughs> That's a good, good name. <laughs> wrote in our arrival episode, if I don't win the giveaway, I'm unsubscribed. Also a great episode. I love this film. Thank you, pal. <laughs> <Nathanos>. <laughs> Uh, then we have Alexander Sullivan wrote, "There was a Korean War that I mean there was a Korean War." Unsubscribe the Korean War is technically still ongoing, you idiots. <laughs> JK JK. It actually it is. So he sent me. Uh, there says that with no formal peace treaty was ever established, so the Korean War is actually technically still going on. I had no I idea. Yeah, I learned something new today. And then we have, yes. On our post about being at the Hunger Games premiere, Alexander MacArthur wrote, unsubscribe games? I volunteer as unsubscribe? (laughs) (laughs) And then I posted a review of The Wolf of Wall Street on Letterboxd, and Amanda wrote, no one did Matthew McConaughey's chess chant in the comments, unsubscribed. Mm. We, We had some great comments in that. It was mm-hmm. cracking me up. I actually have some of my favorites. Ah. So, Woo. on my Wolf of Wall Street letterbox, I, uh, Daniel Georgie wrote, Benny fucking Hana? <laughs> Jared Weiss wrote, Who's Venice? <laughs> Marshall wrote, Fun coupons. Uh, Daniel wrote, Tell them about the sides. The, the sides did <laughs> cure cancer. That's the problem. That's why they're so expensive. <laughs> and yeah, there's so many more. It was just great. I was just like, I hope we get a ton of... Movie quotes in this comment section. It didn't didn't disappoint at all. All right, my streaming recommendation for this episode is going to be Drag Me to Hell, which is also on Netflix. Just got put on there. Oh wow, November. Yeah, I just watched it on uh, Max last week, two weeks ago. Was it, it, which one was it? Last two, week or two weeks ago? Two Anthony? weeks ago. I corrected myself. Yeah, two weeks ago. Pick one. And then my recommendation is Man on Fire on Max. Crazy Bear. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. It's great let's get back into the killer and there's another shot that i adore that i want to bring up that we didn't talk about superlatives and i've never seen anything like before in a movie even though we've had this kind of sequence a thousand times is a plane flying through the air but we got pov of the nose of the plane going through the clouds it was so cool (laughs) that's cool like we're traveling through the clouds and also he did a side shot of it as well i thought that was a really cool thing to do and put in a movie like i'd never seen before as well as it was an interesting transition for traveling and he did a there's a you know, he's traveling different countries, different cities. And Fincher did these quick little things, almost Edgar Wright-style transitions. Well, this is what I'm saying earlier, where we've seen all these things before, but he's doing it in a new way. You know what I mean? That's the whole point. It's like, obviously, we've seen planes flying in the air thousands of times, but... Nobody ever done a shot like that before. That's what makes him so special as a director, like, to come up with that. And the story's really great because of how simple it is and sort of grounded, and there aren't a ton of scenes in this movie. You know, this killer, he fails in his mission of taking out this guy. Then he has to basically go on the run and make it back to Dominican Republic, where he discovers his girlfriend has been attacked and assaulted. Their home is just a mess from a break-in from these two people. And then he's on a path of basically taking out everyone who is involved with trying to kill his girlfriend or trying to kill him. They're obviously there for him. And he goes to discover – so from there on, he discovers the taxi driver that took the people from the airport to his house, kills the taxi driver. He moves on to going to the lawyer, kind of his middleman, his manager sort of, you could speak, his, his handler for getting him jobs and taking him out by accident too quickly – <laughs> taking a killing then too. getting more information Man. from his secretary at her home taking her out but he does break a rule there where you know he says empathy is a weakness i won't show empathy but she makes a deal basically and begs him for mercy in terms of i'll give you the information but just make it look basically like an accident make it look natural don't just make me disappear my kids need basically the leftover my my money insurance. insurance policy yeah. And he does do her that he, he breaks her neck at the top of stairs to make it look like she tripped and broke her neck falling downstairs. So he does break a rule there in terms of showing empathy to an extent as much as a killer could show from there on. His next goal is to go to Florida to take out the other guy that was with the cute tipped lady that was down in Santa Domingo to go after him and his girlfriend takes him out, which is an awesome scene. And then we basically go to Tilda Swinton's character. The expert. We love Tilda and everything she does. And I think that even though she has... Tilda has two scenes in this movie, really. The restaurants and then obviously being followed. But really one main scene yeah. then outside the restaurant. Absolutely takes advantage of that screen time like nobody else. And chews up the scenery with heavy dialogue just from her and Talking basically to a brick wall for the most part. Yeah, and... I mean, it's, she points out, like, why did you come here? Like, why w- wouldn't you kill me, like, secretly? Why would you come to this, this restaurant in public? Because he's making ir- irrational decisions. He's not who he was two days ago. And she also illustrates... Desperate for conversation. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he, she illustrates that great story about the bear and the hunter and how the hunter keeps going out in the woods to try to kill this bear and keeps failing... And uh, the bear says, "Every time you fail, I am going to sodomize you." And then he keeps doing it over and over and over again until the bear eventually says, "You are not here to hunt, are you?" It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a great joke. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, she's saying that the killer is in, on the self-destructive path, and the the people he's killing are, are the bear, or like the idea of continuing to be a killer, and then he's the hunter who just keeps failing, and he, the more he fails, the more he destroys himself. He keeps failing and getting making things worse. And that's what he's doing. He's the hunter of the story. He should really just stop hunting if he wants to, you know, get out of this in any way, shape, or form. And he does end up, like I said, retiring at the end of the film. But I thought it was a great, cool little story that perfectly illustrated exactly what the killer was doing. He's he's failing, and then this and it's causing more destructive chaos around him. And she, yeah, but she says, "Why risk coming here in person without a disguise, without anything really?" Because she says, if you kill me right now, obviously I'm dead. And you'll get out of here, most likely, but not clean. What he's always been great at and why he's still been doing this for such a long time is he always gets out clean. He always has some sort of cover, but he's gone there. He's shown his face. He's not wearing a hat. He's not wearing anything. And he's in public. So he will make uh, He'll. He'll. people remember what he looks like. They'll be able to sketch him or maybe there's a camera somewhere around. So why risk that? And it's really interesting because she basically says, you want to feel basically like you're doing the right thing in a lot of ways. And you want to feel vindicated in your actions right now. But maybe you don't. And that's maybe what you thought you'd feel when you were sitting here. That's why he doesn't drink the whiskey at first. He's not confident about what he's doing. Not anymore. He thought he would be. He thought he'd feel assured in his path of vengeance, basically. But really, he's not anymore. And you know, this life is inevitable for everybody. And it's, she knows, like I've been, knowing this moment's going to come my entire life. However, I never thought it would actually show up. And I love the the line the expert says where she says, I've been so good. I'm suddenly regretting not ordering Haagen-Dazs with every meal. <laughs> <laughs> and then she even asks for ice cream almost half-heartedly after their meal, but then gives it up saying like, you know what? I'm prolonging this long enough. But I, what I love about the scene though, before you add your insightfulness to it, to me, <laughs> is <laughs> how the killer and the audience, we suspect everybody, you can't trust anybody, and even though this is a public restaurant, that's probably her regular spot, everybody knows her by name, the, re- the chef knows her by name, she treats them well, I'm sure, and she orders this flight of whiskey, he is afraid to drink it until there's one left. And then he drinks the last glass and the camera, Fincher cuts to her face and she like gets this hopeful look. And so for the next 10 minutes of watching this movie, even though after he kills her, you're like, is he poisoned? Is he going to die? So it's really great little suspense builder. That's really nothing. A nothing burger. But it just adds a little A nothing burger. It adds a little touch to it. A little flourish to the scene. I love that term, nothing burger. That's a great term. (laughs) I read it in a book. In a book. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's from a movie. I can't remember what it is. It's funny. Uh, but what's even cooler is that even though Fincher was trying to like make us think that maybe she was poisoning her him in that moment and she ended up not, the, she does try to kill him, yeah? Because the way it's set up is that she try she goes out swinging in a way when he, they're walking alongside the river uh, and she trips down the steps. She's playing it perfectly. She's an assassin. Don't forget she's a she's the expert. She is an assassin. So she's playing drunk, clearly. And then she pretends to trip down the steps. And she can you, she says, Can you ask can you help a, an old woman up? No, no, not an old woman. She says help a girl. Help a girl up. Can you help a girl up? And then he consider I think he considers her for a moment, then but then he just shoots right in the face and kills her. And then when she falls back onto the pavement, we see there was a knife in her hand. So she was playing to kill him. And he definitely knew. That's yeah. why he flipped her over. He's like, I have yeah. I have to see. Yeah. Like what was in her hand. So I love that it, it wasn't just straight up murder, like she would have killed him if he didn't kill her. So I, lo- I love that moment. Yeah, it's an incredible scene. And also the lawyer scene is really terrific as well because of how dark it goes. You know, for the first, like, 40 minutes, you're kind of on the killer's side. You're rooting for him. And then he kills the taxi driver in the Dominican Republic. This guy had nothing to do, really, with the murders in a way. Obviously, he is the driver that took the expert and the brute to his home. But he's not part of it. He didn't know what they did in there. But I think the killer kills him because you were involved to an extent. And like you said, he wasn't fully transformed yet. But I think he, his plan was to kill everyone involved until he got to the client to see, you know, when he says that line at the end, when I look him in the eyes, I'll pretty much know how this is going to go. But he didn't want to kill the taxi driver, I think. But he, he just decided to because it's his profession and he doesn't give a fuck. That's his rule. And even yeah. though he was not involved with the murder, he still helped to an extent, even though as a bystander and not exactly knowing what's going on. He is a cause for what's happened. He drove them there and waited and didn't- If the taxi driver left them there, he would have never discovered him, probably. But he kills the taxi driver. When he does that, you're like, oh my god, this guy really doesn't give a fuck. And it breaks his rule of fight only the battle you're paid to fight. Nobody paid him to kill the taxi driver, but he did it for his own reasons. And then he goes and kills the lawyer, which like I said, he didn't mean to do so quickly, but I love how he breaks in. It's so clever. You it's know, great. Counting, yeah, I love the, the door, the recycling, <laughs> the recycling thing he's drawing on his on his pad. It's awesome. It's, it's great. great. But also his storage container. It's a really great joke. I was like, I I would love to watch the episode of Storage Wars where they bust open my door. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of shows like what would an assassin in the modern world, what would their kind of inventory look like for mm-hmm. supplies, not just weapons. He said he has seven storage. Um, Containers all over the country It's crazy. Yeah, but the the sequence at the lawyers place is excellent breaking in But also the discussion they have and also the fear that he puts into the secretary You really are terrified for this woman and she knows she's going to die the whole time as an audience member You don't know if he's going to completely kill both of these people But then he puts the nails in the guy's chest. It's dark. You know, you're serious. He's serious. It's intense I also love the the lo-fi uh, basically, data system that they have just the rolodex on paper. Yeah, everything's on paper. There's no way to trace it. The lawyer he only uses has used that laptop. That's the where old everything one. Would, yeah, it's In an old laptop. Her secret, the secretary' her home computer is an old Macintosh. Yeah, those big bulky ones. I love that. I love the scene of him and the secretary going through the rolodex. And, Nothing with Wi-Fi I'm yeah. sure. Everything's just been written down or crossed out, and I, I just I love that aspect to it. And it makes a lot of sense for eliminating any way of being traced or any kind of track record digitally, it's just it just seems to make sense. Yeah, and not just erasing, but also not having wires connections to anything. You know what I mean? Because all those computers, like those old Macintoshes, those are wire connections for internet versus anything with a Wi-Fi antenna, you could still probably get access to even if it's not connected to the internet. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why they do that as well. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And obviously... I-, I love disposing of the body too. It's really clear. It's a beautiful shot of that bridge with the fog coming in and the sunrise. <laughs> it's gorgeous. He drops such a small bucket. I'm like, man, what happened to the rest of the body? <laughs> no, no, the body is in at the bridge. Right. He's digging up a hole for the body. I think that he, he cut out the guy's teeth and th- fingernails. fingernails. Fingers is what I'm guessing. If you, yeah, uh, I mean, because he drops that little bucket in the water. It's probably or so it's just supplies. No, I think it's I think it's identifiable remains. It could be whatever you want. Yeah. It's possible yeah maybe no but i feel true. like he never really i think yeah it could be it could be it's clever take a ferry to get rid of evidence mm-hmm. and then bury the body under this bridge somewhere it's great but it's a gorgeous shot it's really nice it's one of the best shots of the movie oh man i mean it's fincher man it's the, the Fincher. <laughs> but man. it's crazy because like it's Shows like two different levels of two worlds, basically. Yeah. The, the road and the bridge are humanity and the rest of the world. And beneath it is the killer and his world. It's the underworld. Basically, yeah. What a great metaphor. <laughs> hear that, guys? That's why we can pay the big bucks. The <laughs> the medium bucks, Anthony. The, the, the medium, medium bucks. bucks. Yeah, it's, it's not big bucks. <laughs> the, the Juno Miamics buck. <laughs> he can't afford fancy fees, sorry. And then the third act is really terrific. It's, it's kind of its own mini movie of breaking in, infiltrating this... This very wealthy man, this businessman, company owner, probably CEO or something. Bottle Equinox. Bottle Equinox and everything like that. And everything we talked about with the Amazon products and Amazon lockers and infiltrating the gym and and just espionage stuff, infiltration and getting information, then breaking into his condo in mm-hmm. this very secure building, which how, looks how easy it is. It's a great scene because even in the audience, you're assuming he's going to kill him. Like, why wouldn't he kill the clients? And it's really fascinating that he chooses not to because he asks him... The question of, do we have a problem? The guy's like, we're not, no, bro. We're not (laughs) not having fucking, no, no, man. (laughs) No beef here. And then he asks him before he leaves, I think this is the final test for him to see if he should kill him or not. He says, I'm curious. This man with a science pistol walks into your home in the middle of the night and you have no idea why he's there. And the guy's like, I don't fucking know, man. And I think that's the final question of him. All right, I think we're good. This is not personal, clearly, from you. And I missed, so I had to deal with the repercussions of that. And I'm going to let it go. And yeah, he's like, I'm done. This, this is his retirement, basically, of not killing the client. Like, that's basically his official retirement from the from the job. Not a bad retirement to live off of, either. 8.4 mil yeah. the DR goes a long way. And I think that the client, when he saw how basically ignorant the guy was, he was like, yeah, this guy's not going to be a problem for me. He's really just like he's out of his depth being in this world. He doesn't – this guy doesn't belong. He's not like the evil villain that maybe the movie was setting him up to be. Yeah, it's it's almost like ironic. It's, it's sort of like he probably ordered this just like he ordered an Amazon package. Yeah. You know, this is not – it's just like how the killer got that fobber, the key fob duplicator, the CEO, or wherever he is, just as simple as that, ordering a hit on a guy. Yeah, not. I mean the lawyer is the one who suggested the fallout hit yeah. on him. He didn't know what it would mean. He was like, I don't even know what this means. Just like help with repercussions. Okay. So I think when he saw how this guy is just a guy, a wealthy guy, he was just like, yeah, this is, I'm done. I'm not going to kill you. It's good stuff, man. (laughs) And it's like, it's a happy ending. And I love how he's called, he's famous in the, in this world, the killer. He's called the Dominican Republican. And I don't think he's famous, it's just these all these people know him. No, I mean, yeah, he's famous in the, in the, as assassins. Like He's like this mysterious figure who's like so good. No, I, I don't see that. I don't interpret that at all. The Dominican Republican line, I think that's a joke because he's a white guy living in the DR. Well, no, because the brute, when he's like moving through the house looking for him, he's like, is that the Dominican Republican? Yeah, it is. Exactly, because he tried to kill him. He went to the DR to kill him. No, yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, I think he's, like, well-known in the underworld of assassins. I don't think he's well-known at all because he's an assassin. He shouldn't be. Well, Like, I don't think so at all. I think it's no one knows who he is except for his handlers. His handlers probably don't even know where he lives. I think that's just a joke that it's a white guy living in the DR— a white guy from America who lives in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, you might be right. I think that's all—because he's he's an anonymous guy, you know what I mean? The only people that he communicates with are his handler, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. Everyone— all, all, the people only know him because he's the catalyst of this entire situation, yeah, of failing. they all, all you're the guy who missed. We know who you are kind of, but that's because we're oh yeah, that makes pro- yeah, we're all business. we're all we're all a, it's a food chain basically that makes a lot of sense. It's a supply it's a supply chain. they, they got be, they got the Rolodex page exactly. Yeah. that's what it what that's what's interesting about this. it's a it's a supply chain. There's mm-hmm. you know, a product and someone doing the work and then it just goes up and up and up like managerial aspects. Mm-hmm. We have the manager. Then we have like the regional manager and then we have the clients. <laughs> we have the president, you know what I mean? And it, pay, it, it pays a lot. Exactly. Yeah. So like you can look at the experts, the regional manager, the lawyers, the manager, mm-hmm. and he's the, he's the hand basically. He's the worker. I mean, it, and also, I mean, it would be interesting to get a sequel. I wouldn't be against that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, why not? I don't think, I think he's retired at the end of this film, but I don't think he's done forever. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could see it. I don't know if Fincher would ever do a sequel though. Well, he would, he's actually, he would, like, he'd be open to sequels. He said that, well, because he did want to do Dragon Tattoo sequels, yeah. He said, with Dragon Tattoo, he said, it's, my, it's always been my dream to make a ra- an R-rated adult franchise. That's what he said he's, like, always wanted to do that, and it didn't work out. I'd watch another one of these, hands- I mean, I'll watch anything Fincher makes. Yeah. That'd be incredible. But it's a, it's a happy ending, though. It's really sweet. It's a, yeah, it's a nice, They he's living life at the end. And his girlfriend, she goes through a lot. But she knows the life she chose. she knows and accepts it. that's why she fights so hard and survives because of her hard will because she couldn't she couldn't bear dying, never seeing his face again. But her and her, boyfriend, her and her brother, they know the life that she's in, and she chose it. So I like that aspect of that character where it's not the typical, you're an assassin. What is, well, I had no idea how could you, it's this girl's like, I know what you do. And I understand that. And I signed up for that, but I still love you regardless. And I will keep my mouth shut. I won't tell them anything. You'll be proud of me. Yeah. I, I love that scene. And then I, I thought it was a great ending for the film and how he's basically saying, I'm no longer, he's like not the guy he was when the film started and he's just blending back into society. And if everyone knew who he was, they'd know where he lives, you know? Yeah. That's what I mean. But it's a great joke, the The Dominican Republican that made me crack up. Yeah. <laughs> is that the Dominican Republican? <laughs> man, that dog almost got him, man. <laughs> There's another great joke where they're in the elevator and he has a secretary with him. This is after he, he's killed the lawyer and the lawyer's in the recycling bin. And the guy in the elevator goes, hey, you need help? Disposing of that body? And she goes, <laughs> but she's like crying at the she's same like time. She's like horrified. He's like, what? it's just a joke, lady. <laughs> That's a great joke. Oh, my God. He blends in, man. He he's he's, he's, inte- he's so intelligent. I, I love how he sneaks into that into the lawyer's office. It's great. <laughs> it's awesome because it's another. It's FedEx. He's, it's, this guy comes here every day, probably. It's like oh, it's just a guy coming to get trash, yeah. trying to get re- coming to get recycling. And also, what the show, this film shows so often is like nobody's looking at the details, but unless they really have to, like even at the the rental places, they just look at the name. And what I like is all these places interacting, whether it's an airport, a car rental place, whatever. It's just a line of dialogue that we're getting. We're not getting a whole scene of conversation of discourse like, hello, what's your name? Let me type it in the computer. It's just like, all right, here's your car, Mr. Johnson. They all say his last name. I like how every service person, they all say Mr. whatever his last name is in the moment. And it shows like no one's even paying attention. They barely look at him. That's just the, the, just the way the world is. Yeah. They deal with people all day. Why, why am I going to look at someone too much if they're not you know, doing anything crazy? Mm-hmm. So I think he's terrific at blending in. But I think it's just good writing, not to overdo it. It's just, just information we really need in just yeah. a line of dialogue. And so many great insert shots. So many great insert shots. <laughs> oh my God. Just the, the way he shoots the credit cards. Like, only Fincher. Only Fincher. It's great. It is great. I want to watch it again now. I want to watch it uh, maybe tomorrow. You should, man. You should. It was great on my second watch this morning. Yeah, I heard it. I was like, "Oh man, I'm jealous." And obviously, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross slap knock their music the is always terrific. And oh, also Fincher worked with the writer of Seven on this. Oh no way! Yeah, the writer of Seven. I he was writing. Yeah, this. he's right. And actually, that guy I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He actually did uncredited work on multiple Fincher films, like The Game and a couple others, uncredited. But this is the, this is the first time he has a credit writing a writing credit on a Fincher film since Seven. Let me double check his name real quick. Scream, pl- Andrew Kevin Walker. Yeah, that's his name. What else has he done? I'm not sure. And then, um, Alexis Matz Nolent wrote The Killer, the graphic novel. Uh-huh. But what, what an- else has that guy written? Andrew Kevin Walker has also written Windfall, Nerdland, The Wolfman, The Follow, Ambush, which is a one car Y film, Sleepy Hollow, Eight Millimeter, Seven Hideaway, and Brainscan. I don't know in most of those movies.
1: So, so well, he wrote see, Seven, so... yeah, the seven.
0: dude, <laughs> Seven's one of the best scripts. Sign me up. Uh, it's one of the best scripts ever. Yeah. E- and it's original, too, which is what's... He's, that's like a career script. Like, that's all you need to do. You're good. Yeah, that, that script changed the crime genre. It's, a, it's So he's a script doctor on... Oh, he's probably gotten paid as a script doctor. So that's what you're talking about. So a script doctor yeah. on Fight Club yeah. and The Game, as well as Event Horizon and Stir of the Echoes. You know how much those writers make? A script doctor will if they're like as as high profile as like this guy make half a mil uh just cleaning up a screenplay it's crazy they they make bank Good job. Good job. All right. Well, that wraps our episode on The Killer. Thank you so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost Podcast on all platforms, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit the notifications. Subscribe, follow, leave comments, like engagement is how we get seen by new people. So we appreciate any kind of interaction or sharing. Definitely leave those five-star ratings and reviews everywhere. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take care, everybody. I don't give a fuck. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Cody Mowen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.